20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Happy Tuesday. Welcome into this non-victory Tuesday edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Appreciate you guys being here. Obviously, a devastatingly disappointing loss in New York. No two ways about it. An ugly football game, a disjointed football game. Nothing went right for Green Bay. And just as I'm kind of even talking about this out loud right now, you just kept thinking at some point in that game, Somebody on Green Bay was going to say, screw this. We are not losing to this team on Monday Night Football. We're going to go out and get this win. And for a second, towards the end of the game, it felt like maybe, just maybe, they might get away with one and steal a game from the New York Giants, who for the most part outplayed Green Bay as much as I don't even want to say that because this was a pretty ugly performance by the Packers, by the referees, and in large part by the Giants as well. But no other way around it than being unbelievably disappointed by the overall effort from the Packers. And progress is in fact not linear as we've talked about all season long, three steps forward over the course of the past few weeks, one giant step back, sorry for the lame pun. This is what we saw in this game. We saw a team that once again played to the level of their opponent. And we saw against Kansas City and Detroit And I know that those two teams lost this week and maybe haven't been playing their best football either. I get that. But you can only play the team that's in front of you at the time. And at the time, those were two very challenging opponents that were playing, you know, at least good football, better football than Green Bay had played up to that point. And Green Bay defeated both of those teams because they rose to their level. They played at a level that they had not got to up until that point. And they picked up two huge wins against the Lions and the Chiefs. And then you go against New York and the same Packers team that showed up, you know, really in the first few quarters against the Saints, the last quarter against the Falcons, that showed up against the Broncos, the Raiders, the Steelers. This is the Packer team that we saw. And in fact, I think it was actually a worse version than any of those games. I think this was their worst game of the year. I thought it was the worst that Jordan played all season. We'll see how, you know, some of the grades go and things like that when we get the all 22, but a, a, just a really awful effort in all three phases. No phase wanted to, to kind of pick up the slack and say, hey, we'll be the unit that goes out and gets this win somehow. And the worst part is the Giants didn't even play well in this game. A bad Giants team that was bad coming in and is still a very bad team. I know they've won three in a row now. Those last two wins were not impressive. Neither was this one. A bad Giants team played bad football and Green Bay still lost. That's disheartening. There's no two ways around it. So we'll get into all of the granular aspects of this and some of the you know, deep dive. I've rewatched the game already. It was not fun, but we'll kind of go through all those notes. But here were a handful of just my gut reactions to this one. Number one, I tweeted it out. This game was a clown car on meth. This is one of the worst played games of football that I've watched. And again, in all like all phases of all teams, the Giants, the Packers, and the referees, it was just comical at times. If like this is a bad brand of NFL football, and we're seeing a lot of this throughout the course of the league. Tom Brady's not wrong with his comments of mediocrity. The NFL has a like I get everyone's going to tune in every Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whenever any team is playing. The playoffs will set records. All of it is true. NFL is king. 
They can do almost no wrong, but there is a lot of really ugly football out there right now. And I do think it is a problem. And I do think it's going to be something that continues to get worse if they don't fix some of the practice issues. These are two teams. The Giants are coming off of their bye. The Packers at least had one extra day to prepare since this is Monday Night Football. And I'm assuming on national television, Monday Night Football, you want a decent referee crew to ref that game. I don't even know that there are decent referee crews anymore, but you get my point. If this is two teams that had extended time to prepare for the game, especially the Giants, and a referee crew for a primetime national game, and this is the best you can do, that is ugly football all the way around. The Giants, yes, they got the win, and I'm sure they're feeling positive in that locker room and high-fiving each other. Like There was a lot of awful stuff from New York in that game. And Green Bay, we know they played their worst game of the season, and the refs sucked too. Like It was just an all-around not fun game to watch. You just kind of kept watching it being like, what the heck am I watching right now? So that was my number one takeaway, just an awful played game all the way around. Number two, And this is not me just saying like, look, I told you so or anything like that. And I know you're probably sick of hearing it, but when I talked in the off season and when I've talked all regular season long of this being a team that will be extremely volatile, this will be a young inexperienced team that will have high highs and low lows that will beat teams that you do not expect them to beat and will lose to teams that you do not expect them to lose to. These are your 2023 Green Bay Packers. Could see it coming a mile away. Not necessarily this loss in particular, but these exact type of moments. You knew that there's enough talent on this team that they were going to go and defeat some teams and stick with them and show what they're capable of, give you real signs of the future. And you knew there were going to be signs of a very young, inexperienced team that just doesn't know how to win consistently, and they were probably going to crap the bed in some games as well. And this was about as crap the bed game as you could possibly get against the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. This is exactly what I expected going into the year. It's what I expect through the remainder of the year. We'll see how the the four games go. Wouldn't surprise me if they played up to their level of competition against Minnesota and Tampa Bay and won those and somehow found a way to lose against Carolina. Like That is the type of team that this is right now. They are who they are. Their record is what their record is, but this is exactly what a young, volatile team looks like. Number three, and as I kind of mentioned at the onset, this was a thoroughly disturbing performance in all facets. On offense, you had an inaccurate Jordan Love. It was poorly timed, some beyond awful play calling, especially that two-point conversion at the end. Just a disjointed, ugly effort all the way around. And we'll get into some of that play calling a little bit more as the, the rest of the episode goes along. And you do have to give Green Bay some credit. We'll talk about this as well for that, you know, the drive towards the end of the game to take the lead too little, too late, and not a good enough performance from an offense that had been really kind of clicking on all cylinders over the course of the past couple weeks. Clearly, they were losing or missing some players in this one. We'll talk about that as well, but a bad, bad performance from this Packers offense. Defense. It was ugly at times in the first half, but you kind of get away with it a little bit. You end up, I think, only allowing seven points in the first half. You're on pace to allow 14. You feel pretty decent about it at the time. And in the first half, I would have probably told you and looked you in the eye, and I still feel this way in the first half, that this was actually a performance that I thought was not on Joe Barry in the first half. If you look, they allowed seven points, and even on that drive, it was a a lot of misplays by players on the field, meaning there were players in positions to make plays on a lot of plays on that drive, and 
the players just did not make those plays. I did not think that was a bad first half by Joe Barry. And in fact, they got their offense and special teams out of some jams in the first half when nothing was going right. And to only allow seven, especially with those turnovers that they were having, I actually thought the first half was a pretty solid performance overall from Joe Bear. I'm not saying the defense because there were still some missed tackles and things like that, but they, I would have given it a, a passing performance in the first half. The second half is inexcusable, inexcusable all the way around. And even, even in that first half, right, even though I would have maybe given that a little bit of a pass, as soon as Green Bay gets that 7 nothing lead, what does the defense do? They allow the Giants to get the seven back. Just when Green Bay felt like they were getting a, a going right in the right direction, the defense, like it's just as uncomplimentary of football in all phases in this game as you could possibly imagine. And then you once again allow 200 yards rushing, completely unacceptable, unacceptable. You have Tommy DeVito. We'll talk about some of his stats in just a moment. Completely uncreative. You're not able to get a single sack through the entirety of the game. Just ugly on defense. We'll talk more about that too. Special teams, missed field goal, punt return fumble, multiple big penalties, ugly on special teams, ugly in all facets. No two ways around it. Ugly, 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 ugly football, unwatchable at times. And like I said, a giant step in the wrong direction after three really positive weeks prior to this one. And here was my notes from my initial rewatch. These were just a couple of the mistakes that popped up through the course. And to be abundantly, I rewatched this on the condensed version. There are a handful of plays that were actually missing from the condensed version. So there may have been even more mistakes that I didn't even catch on the rewatch because there were a handful of plays that were missing on a couple drives. Don't know why, just gotta love NFL plus sometimes. But here were some of the mistakes that I caught on rewatch. False start by Elton Jenkins. Missed throw to Dontavian Wicks for a first down on third down that resulted in a punt. Pass interference on Carrington Valentine. Maybe an awful call, probably an awful call, but a pass interference on Carrington Valentine. Penalty on Anthony Johnson Jr. on a blindside block on special teams. Missed throw to A.J. Dillon on third down. Maybe one that Dillon could have caught high, maybe a slight drop. That was a bad throw though, and the throw gave him no opportunity to catch it clean and get up the field. So I'm labeling that as a missed throw. Awful punt by Daniel Whalen with a personal foul on Rudy Ford. Jordan Love fumble. Bad challenge from Matt LaFleur on the Robinson catch along the sideline. Love awful INT, maybe a slight missed holding. I can understand why they didn't call it, but either way, it was an awful throw by Jordan. Errant throw to Jaden Reed. Patrick Taylor doesn't get out of bounds on the two-minute warning or the two-minute drive. Drop by uh, Romeo Dobbs along the sideline. Thibodeau bats down a pass on a third down that actually would have been picked if he did not bat it down. Keyshawn Nixon fumble on the punt return. Multiple missed tackles on an ensuing touchdown drive by the Giants. Throw to Dylan that was 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage when Love just needed to throw it into the dirt at that point. Love missed to Wicks, should have been picked off. Love sacked by Thibodeau in the red zone on second and five. Jaden Reed can't locate the ball in the, red, in the end zone, excuse me. Soft coverage on a third and nine to Daniel Bellinger. Nobody in the vicinity. Keyshawn Nixon's got to try to race up and make the tackle. That leads to a first down on a drive that would ultimately end up in a touchdown. They could have got off the field there. The Giants would have had to punt the ball away. Devondre Campbell can't locate the ball in a flea flicker. Green Bay had first and 10 from the Giants 16 yard line. They do a read reverse that loses two yards. Love to Toure that was caught outside of the end zone. Love was sacked and then they missed the field goal. Second and five on the Giants 25, a five yard loss on toss to Jaden Reed. Love underthrown to Toure in the end zone. That leads to a field goal rather than a touchdown on that drive. 
Malik Heath dropped a touchdown. He would go on to redeem himself on the next play, but another miss on that specific play. Failed two-point conversion. Nixon toasted by Wondell Robinson on what was the final dagger in the game. Just a couple mistakes to go through. And like I said, there was actually plays missing, so there might be some that I actually am missing on my rewatch. All right, next up, Zach Cruz appropriately tweeted out, if you want to give a bad team a blueprint to success, here was the losing losing blueprint, again, per Zach Cruz. Three turnovers in this game, five of 14 on third down, two of five scoring touchdowns in the red zone. You lose the sack battle two to nothing, give up 209 rushing yards, outgained by 1.8 yards per play, miss a field goal, only get two quarterback hits, get zero pass breakups, and then I added one, you miss a two-point conversion. It's as ugly as it gets. That is really, really bad football. And you're losing all the key things, the turnover battle, the yardage battle, the rushing battle, the um, yards per play. You're losing, you're losing red zone. You're losing third down. You're losing all of the key metrics. The fact that Green Bay was even in this game was a minor miracle towards the end. And that was my other big, and I, I kind of mentioned this, whereas like the Giants played bad and Green Bay still lost. The, the really tough pill to swallow is that Green Bay's two biggest breaks that they got in this game had nothing to do with the Packers. And that's what's really frustrating. And it's like, it's you take the gift and a heads up play by Carrington Valentine to realize that that was a fumble by Saquon and to take it upfield and get as many yards as he did. But the Saquon fumble was just a fumble by Saquon. Green Bay did not force that fumble. The muffed punt that just goes off of a Giants, I think helmet or back, whatever it was, that's not anything forced by the Packers. That's just the Giants giving you the football, or even in the case of the punt, like a little bit of dumb luck. So it wasn't even like the Packers that were forcing these. It was the Giants giving Green Bay opportunity after opportunity to stay in this game. The Giants missed a field goal. Like this could have been somehow a lot worse even than it was. And that is, again, a very big blueprint to success or to failure in this game for Green Bay. And then the sixth overarching point that I want to go over before we, again, dig down even further is that I understand the frustration after this game. And some of you are just going to flat out not want to hear this, but as angry and upset and disappointed and frustrated as a lot of people are, understandably, after this Giants game, you also have to remember how excited and exuberant and amazed and wowed and hopeful that you were following the three wins, especially the wins against Detroit and Kansas City. Those still count. We all have the most recent taste in our mouth of whatever happened last. When it's a win, it feels really good. Even if it's an ugly win, all right, they can learn from it, but they got the win. If it's a bad, ugly loss, you want to burn your retinas and never want to watch football again and fire everyone. Fire Joe Barry, fire Rich Passaccia, fire Matt LaFleur. Everyone's terrible. This sucks. When you win and you get a little win streak going, you beat the Chiefs, everything's daisies and roses and everyone's amazing and it looks awesome. It's never quite as high as the highs. It's never quite as low as the lows. The same team still exists that went on that three-game win streak and beat the Chiefs and the Lions. That same team is there somewhere. The same team that lost some of those really bad games, the Steelers, the Giants, the, the Broncos and Raiders at the time when they were playing bad football, that team still exists as well. You can't, because I've, I've seen people say, well, if you just take away 
a couple wins against the Lions and the Chiefs, like this is one of the worst teams in football. Well, like, okay, yeah. If you just take away the losses to the, I don't know, let's say the Raiders and the uh, Giants, like you're easily talking about one of the upper echelon teams because what, instead of uh, six and seven, they're what, eight and five? And they're like probably easily in control of their own destiny in the playoffs. So it can swing either way. But all of this is what they are. They are who they are. They are what their record says. They are a volatile team that you don't know which team is going to show up any Sunday. And if good Green Bay shows up, good luck because they can beat you no matter who you are. And if bad Green Bay shows up, they can lose to you no matter what team you are. That's why I said they could go, if good Green Bay shows up, they could go 4-0. If bad Green Bay shows up, they could go 0-4. You just don't know. And it probably throughout the entirety of the season, as we sort of predicted in the offseason, is probably going to end up right around an 8-9 and nine or 9-8. Nine and eight. And the difference between those two probably determines whether they get a shot at a playoff bid or not. And we'll see. They got four games left, and we're going to have to see kind of how it plays out from here. But we'll get into this as well. As much as some of you don't want to hear about it right now, they do still control their own destiny for better or for worse. All right, let's dig down into this a little bit more granularly and kind of break down everything that I want to go over in this one, good, bad, ugly. I actually want to start with the injuries because I actually think that this went a little under the radar at the end of the game. Keyshawn Nixon, uh, sorry, Keyshawn Nixon goes out in this game, Devontae Wyatt, um, Darnell Savage, they all go out in this game, but come back at some point. So Nixon, Wyatt, Savage, Hopefully no lingering issues from that. And hopefully they're able to go next week. Again, all were able to return to the game, but those will be worth monitoring this week, especially on a short week. But what went under the radar was Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed at the end of this game. Dontavian Wicks, they kind of mentioned at the end of the game, was not able to return. He was questionable. And in the locker room afterwards, was quoted as saying his ankle is effed and that they think it's a high ankle sprain. High ankle sprain is going to keep him out a while if that is the case. We could even be looking at maybe the remainder of the regular season. Maybe he's back in a few weeks. We'll have to see, but almost assuredly would not play this week and probably the following week. So Dontavian Wicks probably lost for some period of time with a high ankle sprain. At least that's what they think it is. And per him, his ankle is effed. Not great. Meanwhile, Jaden Reed, apparently on that final sweep to try to get the two-point conversion also went into concussion protocol. Now, there has not been confirmation, at least as of me recording this, or at least that I have seen that he actually did have a concussion. But if he did, returning on a short week from Monday to Sunday could also be problematic. And remember, Christian Watson still out with an injury as well. There is a chance that they could go into this game against Tampa Bay without Jaden Reed, without Dontavian Wicks, without Christian Watson, without Luke Musgrave, and we'll have to wait and see on Aaron Jones as well. And that is a ton of firepower that could be missing in a very crucial game at home against Tampa Bay next week. And I just, like I said, I wanted to start with that because I think in all of the mess that was a loss to Tommy DeVito and the Giants and all the frustration, I I honestly didn't even realize that Wes and a couple other people had tweeted out that Jaden Reed was in concussion protocol. And then it was Lauren Helmbrecht who got the uh, post-game quote from from Wick saying that his ankle is effed. Not great news to say the least on the injury front. You could be looking at 
Malik Heath, Samore Toure, and Romeo Dobbs as your top three wide receivers with probably Bo Melton getting called up, maybe even Grant DuBose getting called up. That's a heck of a lot different than if you had all of your receivers healthy. That will be a major storyline coming up this week. All right, lots of negatives in this one, but I do want to give some positive and some credit to Green Bay for finding a way to go back, get in that game, and have the comeback at the end, put that drive together. That's still a learning step for this team to have the wherewithal. And just like, obviously, they, they get gifted the opportunity a little bit, but to, to go down and score that, what could have been a game winning touchdown, they saw a lot of adversity up until that point, played a terrible football game, and still up until that point, found a way to get in the end zone and take the lead late in the game. Now, we all know what happened after that, and I'm not giving anything a pass in this game. The offense, as I mentioned before, was not good enough through the vast majority of this game. The defense lets it up at the end. The special teams is bad. It's all bad. I'm not going out of my way to be like, oh, look at, there's still so many positives in this game. That's a lot of negatives, but I do want to give credit where credit's due. That's a big time drive for Jordan Love and the Packers offense to go down. That's a tough catch by Malik Heath, after, especially coming back after dropping one or at least having it knocked away and not kind of securing the catch. They come back, they score the touchdown, they take the lead. The two-point conversion play sucks. It's it's terrible. Now, I will say this. I'm pretty big on saying like, hey, we, we can't just you know, say the play call is awful, especially if there's an opportunity to succeed on it. The play is there. The play is there if they execute. Two people miss blocks. Malik Heath missed a block. Elton Jenkins missed a block. If Elton and Malik Heath both make their blocks, Jaden gets in easily. And those two just both missed their blocks. Malik's was an easier one. He actually had leverage. He just had to seal his guy. If he seal, even if he seals his guy, there might be a chance, um, but he misses his block. That, that was the easier one of the two. Elton's got to get to the second level and cut off a linebacker. That's a tough play to make, but he does get there, get his hands on him, but the linebacker sheds the block and goes and makes the play. So I will say this though, if they execute the play, it's there and it's a walk-in two-point conversion for Jaden Reed. They just didn't execute it. What I will also say is that what I don't like about that play call is you need a lot of blocks to go right. Like while those two went wrong, there's probably like five or six others that they needed that went right. And now five or six of those are executed well, but if just one block on that goes wrong, it's you're stuffed. And that's why I, I love a little bit more putting the ball in Jordan's hands. And I know Jordan had a little bit of a tough game, but you have a throwing opportunity. You could always run with your legs if uh, opportunity presents itself. I just think you give yourself a few more outs with a variety of routes and a variety of, um, you know, just decisions that Jordan Love can make to potentially get in the end zone on a two-point conversion play. Either way, you also have to play into consideration the fact that all of the like second half Jaden Reed stuff on sweeps and end arounds and double reverses and like all of it just wasn't working. Like that to me, and and Matt owned it at the in his his press conference, he said it was a bad play call. It's fine. Yes, it was. But I I just, I can't imagine when all that stuff wasn't working that you kind of go back to the well another time in in arguably one of the game's biggest moments up until that point. Didn't like it. Again, if they execute it, it is there. I can understand what they were trying to accomplish. And it, it was there if the players on the field execute. 
they didn't. And like I said, I do think there were too many variables, too many players that had to execute it perfectly in order for you to get the, the two point. That's why I would have gone in a different direction with the play. And just think you have to have maybe something a little bit more drawn up in that specific situation. What's going on, Packer fans? It is time that you make Little Caesars, which is the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day routine. If you guys know anything about me whatsoever, you know that I love pizza, that every time the Packers win, I have a victory pizza. And what you should also know is that victory pizza is from Little Caesars. I This is no joke. Little Caesars, by far and away, my favorite pizza. What you can do is you can order online during their Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day on Sunday. And then you can get ready for football and fun choose your favorite little caesar's pizza pick the toppings you crave either way you win for me i have the same order every single time i'm going with their hot and ready pizza pepperoni no questions about it and more importantly than anything else always 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 get the crazy bread it is in my opinion the best food that you can get on the market i'm not joking i love crazy bread love 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 crazy bread get it every single time you win when you get crazy bread and speaking of winning Literally everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, enjoy a few slices during the game, and always get your victory pizza from Little Caesars. You won't regret it. Pizza, pizza. So you guys have probably noticed by now that the Packaday podcast is 365 days a year, and we've now been doing this for over five years. You've probably also noticed that I haven't missed too many episodes over the years, and let me tell you, that isn't by mistake. The truth is, before I started the podcast, I used to get sick way more often. I figured at the time that it was just happenstance, wrong place, wrong time, maybe ran into someone with the wrong germ, and I got sick. What the heck was I supposed to do about it? Then I had a friend recommend to me a vitamin regimen that helped my immune system. And ever since I started boosting my immune system, my instances of being sick drastically decreased. Turns out, it wasn't always just happenstance after all. When I was sick, I wasn't feeling focused. I felt sluggish, and that led me to fall behind on my work and left me stressed out. Me taking vitamins helped, but then I ran into a different problem. Taking multiple vitamins every day was becoming a hassle and I figured there had to be an easier way. That's when I started drinking AG1. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I not only continued to boost my immune system, I also had more energy and was able to replace all of my multivitamins. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop also includes prebiotics, probiotics, and digestive enzymes for gut support. That's why I'm proud to have AG1 as a sponsor for the Packaday podcast. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's the holiday season and in our family, we're gearing up to get all of our holiday shopping completed so we can have those magical moments of giving the gifts that people are going to love and we can see the joy on their faces when they open those gifts. As a father of a six and 10 year old, those moments are magical and they mean a ton to me. Now, you and your family may have different holidays or different traditions, but one thing remains the same. You get to define how you give to yourself this holiday season. And this holiday season is the perfect time to do just that. You could treat yourself to a spot 
spade. Maybe make your favorite meal for dinner, or maybe the best gift of all could be a gift of therapy. As I've talked about in the past, therapy has been a huge benefit to me in my walk in life. As much as we want to put life on cruise control and act like everything is perfect, the fact remains that life is hard and you don't have to walk that journey all by yourself. As soon as I realized that is when my life took a turn for the better. Therapy has helped me focus, it's helped me avoid negative triggers, and it's helped me enjoy the little things in my everyday life. If you're thinking about starting therapy this holiday season, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be ultra convenient, and can be suited to your own unique schedule. In this season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash packaday. All right, let's talk about Jordan Love's overall play. As I, I mentioned before, I thought this was pretty easily his worst game of the season. We'll see what it shows up like on the All-22, but the fumble is a terrible play. Takes points off the board, gives the Giants a big turnover. The interception is a massive play. It's a terrible throw, terrible decision, and yet yeah, maybe there's a slight hold on the play. Maybe they could have called it. You never know what officials are going to call nowadays, but it's, it's still a terrible decision by Jordan and was easily intercepted on the play. That's not a great throw. As I mentioned earlier as well, you've got a throw that's batted down by Thibodeau at the line. I think it was Thibodeau that batted it down and that ball is going right to a linebacker. You've got to throw it on Tavian Wicks, who's open. Now he would have been short of the first down, but he's open for probably like a 13 yard pickup and you miss wide. And as Troy said on the broadcast, now maybe Wicks is supposed to run that a little bit differently, but Wicks has already set, settled down in that zone by the time Jordan rips the ball. He knows where Wicks is. So even if Wicks is supposed to be a little bit to his left, he he's not. You can't just throw it there either way. Like he's already settled down, sat in his zone. You have to throw it to him regardless of where he is. And it looked like Jaden was kind of, or sorry, that Wicks was in the right spot. Tough to say a million percent for sure, but either way, you can't throw that ball where you threw it when Wicks settled down to the right and Love looked like just missed him, and that should have been intercepted as well. A lot of errant throws early in the game. Just a very uncomfortable game for Jordan. He never looked like he got in any real level of comfort at any point in the game. It looked like like the Giants were almost like confusing him at points. He abandoned the pocket a couple times when he didn't need to. He stayed in the pocket sometimes where he needed to kind of just get rid of the football. The run. I want to see this one on all 22 as well. It looked like if he goes outside and just follows Tucker Craft, that he might have a chance at the first down. If nothing else, at least it's probably not a fumble where you're held up by one player and the other player can kind of come and punch it out. Everything felt so hard for this offense in the game. And Jordan needed to play a lot better than that. In this specific game, got outdueled by Tommy DeVito. And it, there's a lot that goes into it. The players around him need to play better as well. But when there was stuff available and just decisions that he needed to make better, Jordan did not always make the right decision, didn't make the right throw. And his mechanics were all over the place, causing a variety of inaccurate passes. This is a big time growing game for Jordan. He's going to have to learn from this one and just kind of have that same level of focus and intensity that he had against KC more consistently because as a QB, you can't be up and down with that same level of volatility. You as the QB1 have to find a level of consistency that when guys are open, you're hitting those layups. Even earlier, there's a miss to, to Wicks for a first down. Just a, a, a what feels like a very negative performance from Jordan and a uncharacteristic one based on how he has played as of late. Do I think he's going to bounce back? Yeah, I really do. 
But this was a tough one and one that he's going to have to learn from. As far as Matt LaFleur's play calling, we talked about all the end arounds and jet sweeps. And it's like the big thing here is that some of it worked early. In fact, there was even a play early in the third quarter that I think goes for close to 20 yards for Jaden Reed on a, I forget if it was a toss or end around or reverse or sweep or whatever, because they ran like 30 versions of it. It was still working at the beginning of the third quarter, but there became a point where the Giants learned from it. They made the adjustment and then Matt didn't. And that's the frustrating part is that if the defensive staff and the team opposing you makes the adjustment, you have to make the adjustment as well. And Matt did not up until the two point conversion at the end, still not making that adjustment. I'm sure they saw something on tape all week long that you can, you know, run sweeps and, and outside plays on these guys and, and reverses and, and all of it. And you can have success. And they did early. But once they make that course correction and it's no longer there, you have to make that course correction. And I didn't see that from Matt. And here's here's my guess. I'm sure they saw something on tape, but I talked about this in the pregame show. I said, with Christian out and with Musgrave out, and to a lesser extent, at least from what I'm about to talk about with Aaron Jones out, one, you miss a lot of playmaking, but two, with Musgrave and Watson, you miss a lot of your vertical plays. Watson has a gravity to him when he's going down the field on the outside. Musgrave has a similar gravity with his his speed in the middle of the field where he draws players towards him. And sometimes those safeties can tend to play just a little bit more off because of the vertical threat that you have all throughout the course of the game. Without Musgrave and without Watson, Green Bay didn't have that threat. It was very clear to me that Matt was basically trying to accomplish, instead of stretching the Giants vertically, because he didn't feel like, I'm sure he felt like he didn't have the personnel to do that with consistency, he was trying to stretch the Giants horizontally so that maybe he could get some of those A.J. Dillon runs going and some stuff in the middle of the field going because the defense would be stretched sideline to sideline rather than deep because they didn't have the players to, to threaten deep. I do very much believe that Green Bay missed Aaron Jones, Luke Musgrave, and Christian Watson quite a bit in this game. And I think the play calling tells you all you need to know that they felt they needed to be a little bit more gadgety. And like how many, you know, reverses, tosses, jet sweeps, flea flickers, everything else that they tried to run. Like, I think that's my other thing that I was just like disappointed in too. I understand again, they're trying to make it so that they have to, you know, defend the whole width of the field. You're facing the New York Giants. It shouldn't take that many crackerjack trick plays to beat the Giants. Go out and just execute your stuff. And Green Bay didn't. They tried a bunch of variety of things that over and over and over again worked early, didn't work late. And it just, it felt it felt like the wrong direction to go in. Even if like some of it early, especially trying to get them sideline to sideline was smart. At some point, then you got to counter it with something different and they just didn't. They just kept going to the well and the well dried up and the Giants were all over it and Green Bay didn't adjust. So yeah, the play calling, definitely not great. And by the way, Matt LaFleur gets his first ever December loss as well. Joe Barry's defense, it's the same defense that we've seen. And it doesn't seem to matter if they're playing Patrick Mahomes or Jared Goff or Russell Wilson or Kenny Pickett or Tommy DeVito, it's going to be the same defense every week. There were some things that I thought they did early to stop Saquon Barkley in this game. It, it just, it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. 
You see, again, a third down completion on third and nine to Daniel Bellinger with nobody around him. You see on the losing drive where you're just allowing, like, how are you allowing Darius Slayton, I think it was Slayton, to catch like an eight-yard pass and easily get out of bounds? Like, do you know how big of a prevent you have to be in to allow a player in a minute, like with a minute left to pick up a free eight to 10 yards and get a free out of bounds? Like, what are you even remotely thinking in that situation? Like they, the Giants got 20 yards without trying, and then they got a 30-some yard play with basically not trying. It, w- it went from Malik Heath catching the touchdown pass to the Giants were in field goal range in a blink. Like you all could kind of feel, I'm sure it coming of like, yeah, they're not going to stop. The, like not even Tommy DeVito and the Giants are going to be stopped on with this defense. You could feel it coming, and like before, you could even have the thought they're in field goal range. And it was easy. It was easy, unimaginative, uncreative, same style of defense. And I, like, like, listen, you can be frustrated. Like. You can be frustrated with a lot of it, no questions, but you also have to have like a solution to present. And Joe went off coverage early in that drive and it didn't work. So what does he do? He goes man coverage and Keyshawn Nixon gets burnt. And I'm not, again, I'm not absolving Joe at all, at all. That was, you can't get a sack against the most sack team in football. You can't get a single sack. Some of that was on the players too, but it was unimaginative, uncreative. It was it was the same defense that we've seen forever. And at some point, you've got to dictate, and Green Bay never dictates. And this is what you get. You get a team that can dictate to you. And to have another 200-yard rushing performance, and I don't care necessarily how they got there. That, Like I said, there were times in this game where they did, up until really that fumble by, like, sorry, up until that the drive where Saquon fumbled, where he had like three plays back to back where he, you know, and then finally busted the big one. Up until that point, they did a really nice job on Saquon. But Tommy DeVito had like 70 yards rushing. Wondell Robinson had a bunch of yards rushing, including some explosive plays from both of them. And then you eventually allowed the huge explosive to Saquon and you just got lucky that he coughed it up at the end of it with nobody doing anything to actually force that fumble. You allowed 200 yards on the ground again, but the one thing that you couldn't do was allow to, to all week, Hey, can you learn from the Steelers game? And there were, there were points early in the game, again, that I thought maybe, maybe still allowed 200. And it's like, if also, by the way, we're talking about like, hey, I thought at times that this run defense looked better and they still gave up 200 to a team that you only have really one thing that you need to stop, you know how bad it is. For the fourth time, 200 yards. Yeah, not good enough. And again, Green Bay gets a seven nothing lead. Giants get the ball, go right down and score a touchdown. Green Bay gets the one point lead at the end. Giants go right down, easily get a field goal. And it was the same, like even in wins this year, you've got the win against the Saints where you finally get the lead at the end and the Saints get the ball with Jameis Winston, a back, another backup quarterback. And what does he do? It goes right down the field, gets him in field goal range. You just happen to have the, the um, Saints miss the field goal. It's not been good enough in those key situations. And yeah. I don't know that there's anything else to say. Oh, I do have one more thing to say. Per Opta Stats, never heard of Opta Stats before, but per Opta Stats, since quarterback starts were first tracked in 1950, it's been a hot second, since 1950, only one NFL starting quarterback 
has completed 80% of his passes, rushed for over 70 yards, committed no turnovers, and took no sacks. That one quarterback since 1950 was Tommy DeVito in this game. The only quarterback since 1950 when they started tracking stats, and my guess is probably the only one ever, to have completed 80% of his passes, rushed for over 70 yards, committed no turnovers, and took zero sacks. First time it probably ever happened, but at least since 1950. There's your Green Bay Packers defense in this game and really kind of throughout the season in a nutshell. Plenty of blame for Rich Passaccia's special teams. We talked about it before. Punt return muffed by Keyshawn Nixon. The two big penalties, the missed field goal by Anders Carlson. A lot of accident forgiveness I was willing to give Rich Passaccia on his first year as coordinator in Green Bay. This has been a almost like 25 year long special teams nightmare. To expect Joe or expect Rich to come in in one year and just fix it overnight was never going to be the case. The fact that they just weren't the worst ever uh, in special teams and were kind of like around 27th last year felt like some solid step in the right direction. Now, in year two, when there's a lot of players that are on this team for their special teams value, not anywhere near good enough, especially for being the highest paid special teams coordinator in all of football and an assistant head coach. Special teams have been really, really bad and they were awful in this game and were a huge key to the Green Bay Packers losing this one. The Keyshawn Nixon fumble. And again, I know that like, it's not like Rich Passaccia said, hey, let's go run the play where we muff the punt, recover it, get back up anyway, and then fumble it. Let's, let's run that play. I get it. But what I will say is that the Green Bay has two punt returners, Jaden Reed and Keyshawn Nixon. If you want to know why they have two punt returners, it's because they have a more safe punt returner and they have a more explosive punt returner. Their safe one is Jaden Reed. Their explosive one is Keyshawn Nixon. Nixon can house it at any moment in the right situation. Jaden Reed is the most natural. And I know he's, I think he's muffed at least one this year, but he's the most natural punt return catcher that I've seen. It's, it looks like he's been, was like born to do it. And in that specific game with the wind blowing when you're up three and, and like everything was just swirling around, maybe don't go with your explosive guy. Maybe go with your safe guy. That was a mistake. And they put in Nixon. Nixon makes double the mistakes. And let's just talk about that next because Keyshawn Nixon was downright terrible in this game. He was the hero last week with a huge interception uh, against Patrick Mahomes. Deserves a lot of credit for that. A ton of credit. And then we've seen some really good stuff over the years from, or over the past couple of years from Keyshawn Nixon. But this game, the punt return fumble might've been the most game-changing play in this game. They were up by three, about to get the ball at their own 30-yard line in the second half. And instead, he muffs it. The Giants go in and score a touchdown in like three or four plays after that. Huge, huge swing in the game. He gives up the big reception at the end, had a huge missed tackle. Uh, Like earlier, uh, it was probably like the third, fourth quarter. Just a really, really tough performance from Keyshawn. Needs to be way better in in all phases, special teams, at least special teams in defense. This is a hang with him for for Nixon, and he was my lowest graded defender all season long. I'm pretty sure, let's see if I can pull this up while I'm talking here, but I'm pretty sure he was still my lowest graded defender, um, even after his big play in his big game last week with the, the pick of Patrick Mahomes. And in fact, he was still my lowest graded defender going into this game, negative 1.9 on the season, just barely ahead of a couple other Packers or behind a couple other Packers. But 
This is a lot of the stuff that we've seen on tape, specifically on on defense from Keyshawn Nixon. And in a clutch moment, in a key moment last week, clutch moment came up huge. Big pick against Patrick Mahomes. This week came up the exact opposite. Got toasted, got beat, got his eyes caught looking in the backfield and at the quarterback and Wondell Robinson beat him. And it was the the game clinching play for the Giants. So he's got to learn from that. On one other positive, Tucker Craft, four catches, 64 yards. And I thought really started to show some of the run after the catch and some of the big playability that he has as a tight end. He's developing in a really fun way. Has just that overall tight end vibe of can do a little bit of everything. Good blocker, good pass catcher, good run after the catch. May not ever be great at anything, but I think he can be really good at a lot of things. And he's trending in that direction. Might've been one of the real only true player positives from this game. Again, we'll see from a grading standpoint later in the week, but four for 64 from Kraft felt like a a really nice day and a real step in the positive direction for him. All right, some miscellaneous stuff. Inactives for Green Bay in this game were Quay Walker, Christian Watson, Jair Alexander, Caillou Blue Kelly, Aaron Jones, and Caleb Jones. Caillou Blue Kelly and Caleb Jones, the only healthy scratches. Jones, Jair, Watson, and Walker all hurt. Green Bay is going to need to get some of these guys back, maybe as soon as this week against Tampa, especially knowing that Wicks and Reed could potentially miss this game as well. I'm not super enthusiastic that Watson's going to be able to come back either, but man, if they want to keep making this push, they definitely need some of these guys back and sooner rather than later. No, nobody really wants to talk about it. I get it. I understand it. You can have the Jim Mora playoffs. You want to talk about playoffs? As crazy as it seems... Green Bay still holds the number seven seed. And I saw a lot of people, but Andy, Atlanta's a wild card team and they lost to Atlanta. There's no way that Green Bay's the number seven seed. They are the number seven seed per NFL.com, per ESPN.com, and per me, they are the number seven seed right now. And yes, they do have a loss to Atlanta, but they also beat the Saints. They also beat the Rams and they have not played the Seahawks and they have not played, I guess, just the Seahawks. There's five teams that are tied for that final spot. The Falcons, the Saints, the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Rams. So it is not just a one-on-one tiebreaker. If it's a one-on-one tiebreaker, Packers versus uh, Falcons, then they would be out. But it's a five-team Falcons, Saints, Packers, Seahawks, and Rams. And as of right now, the the tiebreaker in that situation and scenario goes to Green Bay. So they do hold the number seven seed and they do control their own destiny still moving forward. Right now, depending on what site you want to use, New York Times, ESPN, they're all right around about a 50% chance to make the playoffs. So a coin flips chance one way or the other, which it feels appropriate because Green Bay's play in any given week is basically a coin flips chance where you might get really good Green Bay. They're they're two-faced. You might get good Green Bay. You might get bad Green Bay. You just don't know. But if uh, you want to dig into it further, if they go 4-0, they make the playoffs 100% of the time. They, again, are a lock if they go 4-0. If they go 3-1 and and that losses to the Vikings, they have an 89% chance of making the playoffs. If they go 3-1 and and the losses to any team not named the Vikings, they have a 97% chance of making the playoffs. So 4-0, 3-1, pretty good chance. They go 2-2, two two, only a 42% chance if the loss is to the Buccaneers and the Panthers, down to a 10% chance if the losses are the Vikings and the Bears. Just depends on who they lose to, but somewhere between a 10 and a 42% chance, depending on who the losses are to. 
They go one and three, they have a less than 1% chance of making the playoffs and 0 and four is a 0% chance of making the playoffs. So pretty simple for Green Bay, four and 0 or three and one, you're four and 0 you're in, three and one, you're almost assuredly in, two and two need a lot of help and you probably need to lose to the right two teams, one and three and 0 and four, you're just not getting in. Now, maybe some of you are hoping for the opposite direction. All right, well, you're, you're not hoping for playoffs, you're hoping for draft positioning again. I understand you. There's Everyone has a different way of going about this. Some of you are hoping playoffs. Some of you are hoping draft. Some of you are just hoping to watch Packers football for four more weeks and just see what happens one week at a time. But if you're one of those people that are hoping for draft pick positioning, Green Bay's right now at six and seven. The Bears hold the number five pick in the draft at five and eight. They are only one game behind Green Bay and they hold the number five pick. Green Bay is one game ahead and they are a playoff team right now. If the season were to end today, one game in the standings separates the number five pick in the draft and a wild card team. That is insane. So if Green Bay loses out the rest of the way, you're probably looking at the fifth pick in the draft, maybe even the fourth, at worst, probably the sixth. So somewhere between four and six, if you lose out. Not saying they're going to do that. I'd be pretty shocked if they did that, especially with the way that their schedule lines up. But the range of scenarios remaining for Green Bay is fourth or fifth pick in the draft or playoff team with only four weeks to go. That's how much this can swing. And it probably ends somewhere in the middle. Who the heck knows? But that's where things are at right now. What's next? Of course, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next Sunday, noon game at Lambeau Field. And if you're one of those people that are hoping for that playoff push, a pretty must-win game for Green Bay if they want to keep those playoff hopes alive. What do you want to cheer for moving forward? Well, if you're cheering for the playoffs, you need them to win. If you're cheering for draft picks, you need them to lose. What I have been cheering for all season long is progress. And we've seen a lot of progress this year. This Giants game was the antithesis of that. We saw a major step back and going right back to where we saw this team play early in the season. Injuries definitely a part of this situation, but the players on the field could have impacted this game in a much bigger way and just did not do so. It's it's on everyone, offense, defense, special teams, LaFleur, Bisaccia, Barry, all of it. It's, it's a, a plague on all houses for this performance, but what I'm still cheering for moving forward is progress. I want to see this team continue to take steps in the right direction and continue to get better. If they're making those right steps, if Green Bay loses to the Giants, but we see a ton of progress, all right, we'll figure it out later. That was not the case. They took steps backwards and they lost the game. If they can make strides moving forward the remainder of the season, that's what I want to see. And you might be saying, well, like, Andy, what was what's all this talk lately of like all the playoff odds? Like clearly you're thinking this is a playoff team. The reason that personally I want them to make that playoff push is because I do feel like it's an invaluable experience for a very young team. And I do think if they get to the playoffs, they will have learned a lot of lessons along the way. And they probably showed quite a bit of progress from a team that was two and five, three and six, and looking like they were trending in the exact wrong direction. So yeah, I'm cheering for progress. And hopefully that means that they win three or four more games and get a playoff shot. And regardless of what happens, and regardless of what just happened against the Giants, and maybe they go up against the 49ers and get beat 40 to nothing. I still believe that that process of fighting till the end, maybe maybe it's a win and you're in against Chicago. 
and they learn from their mistake a year ago when they lost to Detroit and they get the win and they get in the playoffs and you just kind of see what happens from there. Do I have any real, you know, opinion that this could be a, a team that makes some major noise in the playoffs and wins a super? No, no. But I do think it's a really valuable step for this team to learn how to close out a season, to go through a playoff race, to win the games that you need to get there and just get in and gain that playoff experience. Because playoff football is different. And even if, again, even if you lose and get crushed, you learn from having that experience. So that's what I'm cheering for. Again, you have every right in the world. If you want to cheer for the losses, if you want to cheer for the wins, I continue to cheer for progress. And I hope they get those wins because even if they get one more game in the playoffs, they gain that extra experience, they gain playoff experience uh, and exposure. All of that stuff is important for a really young team. As is, as much as some of you might not want to hear this as well, as is sometimes going through these sort of losses, like the game against the Giants. It sucked. It really sucked. But for a young team, sometimes that's part of the process and some of the things that you need to learn from to ultimately get to the place that you want to go. Now it's up to Green Bay to ultimately learn those lessons. That's going to do it for me today. Obviously wishing we were having a different discussion about an amazing win to keep their four-game winning streak alive and complete control of their playoff destiny, which they technically still are, but you get my point. Unfortunately, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a very disappointing loss. Green Bay will bounce back from this. Hopefully it's this week against Tampa and they can get things headed back in the right direction. That's going to do it for me. Shout out to our Hall of Fame and All-Pro members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wilde, Che Dad, Arnaldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Lori, L- Lori Lord, Donald Lee, Baby QB, and MB1023. I will see you guys soon. Of course, right back here tomorrow, 365 days a year. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.